Hey everyone, I'm your host Tom Shaughnessy and welcome back to Chain Reaction, a research-driven podcast that's a part of Delphi Digital. If you're not on Delphi's research portal, you're missing out on the critical analysis read by the top minds in the crypto space, so be sure to check it out. One quick housekeeping item, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. I may personally hold tokens mentioned on the podcast and you can view our show notes below for our complete disclosures. With that, let's jump into the episode. Before we jump in, we want to thank the Cosmos community for their sponsorship in making this episode possible. There are several projects building inter-blockchain communication protocols, but there's one that's currently built. Cosmos.network is on a mission to link every blockchain. Well-known projects like Terra, Band, Kava, and Secret use Cosmos and the Cosmos Hub to connect to every other chain in their network. The Cosmos Hub is completed and launched, and you could visit Cosmos.network today to check it out. The Cosmos Hub brings us that much closer to Web 3.0 and we thank the Cosmos community for sponsoring the Delphi podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back everyone. to the Delphi podcast. I'm your host, Tom Shaughnessy. I'm a GP at Delphi Ventures. Uh, today, I'm thrilled to have on the Tokamak team, previously uh, known as, as Fractal and, and still are, but for this subset, it's Tokamak. Um, so Bruno, Paul, Carson, and Craig on today, we're going to go through um, the whole project and, and everyone's background here. Just as a, an obvious disclosure, this is being recorded. Um, all the guests are aware of that, and we're also investors in uh, Tokamak. Uh, Carson, let's start with you. Uh, we'll go around the room, and everyone will give their 30-second uh, intros. Yeah, thanks a lot, Tom. Appreciate you having us on. Uh, so Carson Cook, uh, founder of, of Fractal and now founder of Tokamak. Uh, quick background. Uh, my background is technology. Did a PhD in physics, master's in electrical engineering. Uh, got into the uh, digital asset crypto space uh, back in 2016. Following my PhD, I was in the trading space. Uh, joined McKinsey, um, was in their banking and wealth management fintech space, uh, and then also got into uh, FX trading world. Started to map that kind of over into the crypto trading scene around 2017, and then in uh, beginning of 2018, left to found Fractal. Uh, we've been running now for a little over three years, and it's really out of our experiences there as a DeFi market maker that the uh, that the genesis of, of Tokamak was born. It's awesome, Carson. Paul, why don't we go with you next? Sure. Uh, so Paul Schrader here, um, background in design and and leading up um, a lot of the design and marketing community efforts uh, at Tokamak, as well as hopefully serving as, to some extent, a translator for Carson on some of his more complex ideas for those of us who are not electrical engineers and super brains. Paul, you've done that a few times for me, so glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Bruno, you're up next, man. Yeah, so my tech round is uh, more in tech. I was at a, a large, like a Fortune 500 tech company before, um, and now currently like working at Tokamak on more like on the tokenomic side, helping like kind of carve out like Carson's ideas into into the tokenomics of it. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's awesome. And, and Craig, I know you're a late addition, but uh, give your background as well. Hey, happy to be here. Didn't mean to crash. Yeah, my background is been leading business development and uh, uh, marketing for tech startups for many, many years. Got into the blockchain space about uh, three years ago, first on nights and weekends, like many of us, and then 
with a liquidity aggregator about two or three years ago. I made it made it my day job. I ended up being here a while. And thanks for having us today, Tom. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you guys. And I want to go, you know, piece by piece with this. But Carson, it was a great idea to kind of just dive in first on, you know, the, just the elevator pitch on what Tokamak is. So I'd love to get your, you know, quick minute and then we'll go piece by piece. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe a couple of um, observations about the space before I say what this is. The, the first is we, we think that liquidity is the next major infrastructure layer. Um, and so if you kind of think about the evolution of grids over time from electricity uh, through telecom advancements to the Internet, uh, then with the, uh, the um, innovations of Bitcoin and Ethereum, the ability to move value around, um, and then eventually now with liquidity, we think that each of these sort of technologies become infrastructure when there's things built on top of it that rely on it and can't function without it. So just like on this call, if any of us drop internet access or battery and phones die, et cetera, we're going to drop. Uh, same thing happens with liquidity. If there's zero liquidity on Uniswap, for example, uh, you can't do a trade. So DeFi completely depends on liquidity. Um, and that's that's really what we're focused on here. Um, with that said, um, we'll go through a number of sort of other analogies, I'm sure, later in this call on how we think about things. But um, at its core, Tokamak is a decentralized liquidity network. Uh, and it's basically the answer to the following question or, or thought experiment, if you will. Uh, so conceptually, what happens when you uh, disaggregate uh, or pull apart a market maker, sourcing the capital, uh, market knowledge, and trading expertise from across a network, basically crowdsourcing those things? And that's what we're trying to do here with Tokamak. So um, put maybe in more um, elaborate terms, what does a disaggregated or decentralized citadel look, uh, look like when you pull it apart? And that's what we're building here. DeFi primitive, and it's going to be utilized by exchanges, DAOs, and market makers alike, as well as DeFi participants uh, in general. That's awesome, Carson. And I mean, can you kind of dive into just like the inefficiencies today that you're attempting to solve? I mean, I know like liquidity is king here, right? But like, what are the most blaring issues that you're seeing today with projects launching and, and kind of facing these issues? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of this uh, came out of, I mentioned before, our experiences at, at Fractal. So at Fractal, we sort of started in early 2018 and centralized uh, market making and quickly evolved into the DeFi market making world uh, starting late 2018, kind of before it was a popular space. And and we sort of got our foothold um, in 0x and some of their relayers um, working on those order book models and then quickly evolved into the AMM space. And of course, with the explosion in 2020 is yield farming. Um, and, and trading volumes in the space took off. Um, it became sort of the hottest area probably in the world. Um, what, we, what we learned um, partnering with both token projects and exchanges uh, and venues out there was one, um, a huge amount of the founding team's energy uh, is spent on liquidity and market making. So you talk to these different groups and either they're budgeting a huge amount of their tokens for SushiSwap or Uniswap LP. So this is the so-called liquidity mining. And that's effectively an inflationary mechanism, which we'll probably get to later uh, on this discussion as well. But they're either budgeting tokens like that or or they're paying um, either tokens or capital out to centralized market makers uh, in order to stand up for liquidity for their tokens. Uh, and then additionally, it's just taking a huge mind share of the founders as they focus on solving liquidity. And it's, it's, it's uh, helpful, I think, to point out here that liquidity in this space is important for all participants. So unlike in traditional markets where liquidity matters for uh, traders and investors, here it matters basically for any piece, any users, any protocols, any applications in the ecosystem that plug into the protocol we're discussing. Because the fact that tokens are used here uh, means that this is a much broader, uh, this this. Uh, commodity of liquidity affects a much broader range of participants um, than what happens in TradFi. 
so going a little deeper on that, what we were hearing when when uh, we were seeing you know time and time again from these founders that it was spending a lot of their their time trying to solve liquidity, they're they're basically living and dying by whether they properly stand up liquidity. So in addition to having a uh, building a product, they also had to make sure they said stand up deep liquidity. And this reminded us very much of uh, the '90s um, in in sort of the, the internet boom when. Uh, companies not only had to build their product, but they also had to stand up armies of IT professionals and run their own server server farms. Everyone was doing this kind of in their own silo, uh, and it was a huge redundancy sort of across the board. What happened then was you, of course, had Amazon come along with AWS and say, now we've got cloud-based servers, focus on building your product, uh, don't worry about running servers all day. Very analogously here, you look project after pro- uh, project to project, and each one of them is budgeting. You look at you look at sort of the token distribution uh, pie chart, and there's always that that uh, piece of the puzzle that is uh, the piece of the pie that is set aside for liquidity rewards. And it's very good to decentralize these protocols, obviously, but those same uh, tokens that are being allocated as inflation for SushiSwap or Uniswap LP could have gone to some higher value add, uh, less commoditized. Uh, participants out in the community. And so you have so many of these groups budgeting so much inflation that, again, you saw the redundancy and the silos of what happened in the early uh, internet days. And what Tokamak is going to do is basically launch this liquidity as a utility, this liquidity network, which will enable token products when they launch to instead tap into our liquidity network, focus on building their product, and not have to spend all day worrying about uh, liquidity. That's an awesome overview, Carson. And I want to get into like how this works in practice, right? When you guys you know, set to launch and kind of how you're thinking about it. But before I go into that, I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, you guys know what you're building because you guys ran or run you know, a market-making business today. Can anybody here, and I mean, question for anybody on the panel, can you guys you know, talk a bit about you know, what you guys learned there, how successful you were, and I guess more importantly, you know, how you guys decided to disrupt yourselves? Because a lot of legacy companies, projects, you know, they don't want to you know, reinvent themselves. They want to, you know, grind out until their last customer. Yeah, I'll take a first stab at that. And then Craig, feel free or anyone feel free to jump in if you have more to say. So I think in this space right now, one thing we learned is, is working as uh, operating as market makers or really liquidity providers in the space. Um, and what, for anyone on the call, if these terms aren't super, super understandable, the, the differentiator I say between market makers and liquidity providers is that pricing expertise. So market maker not only has uh, in today's, uh, before sort of we we sort of disaggregate things with uh, Tokamak, a market maker today would both provide liquidity and also put pricing, uh, bid offer, price, quantity, depth into the market. What we learned was um, the huge amount of, uh, uh, let's call it, uh, the, the plethora of participants, both from the token, uh, token side as well as the exchange or venue side, uh, meant that market makers... Uh, had uh, sort of the, the strong hand in those negotiations. So in other words, the market maker, there's few market makers to go to, few that have that, uh, both the technological know-how that were plugged into these um, venues and also the pricing ability. Um, and so uh, they were sort of the, the scarce asset. What we could have done was stayed with our business model, which was going very, was and, and has been going very successfully, which is partner with these different groups. Um, you figure out what monthly fees are, et cetera. But we realized that one, it, uh, liquidity and market making is extremely opaque. And it's, as I mentioned before, very hard for their fo- for founders and founding teams to wrap their head around this and figure out who they should engage with and how and what good liquidity looks like. Uh, so rather what we, what we sort of did was say, well, what wins longer term? Because right now it doesn't seem to us like market making and liquidity provisioning is done in the same 
manner as everything else in DeFi. So instead, we started thinking, how do we disrupt our own business model and how do we pull apart our own op- our own operations into this decentralized network um, and, and eventually just plug in all participants uh, into that model? That's awesome. I'll, I'll lob it over to Paul, Bruno, or Craig if you want anything to Carson's answer. That was that was excellent. Um, just one thing to build on that is we we spend a lot of time with partners, not only helping them understand liquidity, but really trying to be an advisor as they try and get their own heads around what it means to provide liquidity, what their options are, and then sort of nail down the specific framework for for what we want to do to establish liquidity for them. And that's a long process uh, in addition to in addition to fractal just providing expertise. And I think what we're we're focused on now is enabling a lot of this to become much more transparent and solve a lot of that opacity with which Carson referred to. Um, and I think with with in doing that, we bring together the the tools and the information for these projects to put themselves in the best position for liquidity around their their projects. Yeah. And, and one other thing, just building on on what Craig said is we believe that the end state, which is not too far off uh, with the coming launch of Tokamak, will be that liquidity can turn from a cost line item for, for token projects and DAOs uh, to a revenue uh, revenue generator. Uh, so basically, we can invert the economics um, um, versus how these groups have to engage with uh, liquidity provisioning and market making today. Yeah, no, that's a good point, Carson. It's, it's extremely inefficient the way it's done today. And Let's dive a bit into kind of how Tokamak works, right? I'm, I'm not sure how much you guys want to share. I mean, we did share, you know, some in our tweet storm, which we could probably use as, as kind of, you know, the guiding light here. And I'll, I'll link to it in the podcast show notes. But can you kind of walk us through, I know there's a bunch of pieces here, so we could, you know, we can go one by one. But like, what does it look like from the, I guess, you know, the user side of things? Like those who have idle assets that they want to deposit for yield, maybe, you know, from the side of the, the Tokamak token providers. Um, who want to earn a yield and, and direct that liquidity? Can you kind of walk us through maybe um, one side of it, and then we'll we'll go maybe you know, we'll start with the liquidity providers, and then we'll go over to I guess the directors. Sure thing. And uh, to kind of bring this back to what I mentioned at the beginning of the call, Tokamak is really trying to um, again answer this question of what does it look like if you disaggregate or pull apart um, a Citadel, for example. So in a in a in a market making firm. Uh, or a prop trading firm, there's really three things that are centralized with it to oversimplify things and zoom out. There's three things that you're centralizing one of those firms to make it function properly. There's capital, which also co- often comes from equity or debt financing or uh, LP limited partner capital. There's trading and market uh, expertise, um, which comes sort of in the form of the executives or directors that say, these are the asset classes and strategies we will pursue as a firm. And these are the exchanges uh, or venues where we will pr- pursue them. Um, that's the second piece, uh, kind of that market knowledge. And then the third piece uh, is is the actual trading expertise themselves. So with the help of technology and algorithms, um, in the case of a market maker, the the traders are setting the bid and offer price quantity and depths into the book. So it's really those three things that are normally in a centralized market maker. As so we pull this apart to sort of route this across the network, the three, uh, the three mappings that you should use here are liquidity providers, liquidity directors, and pricers. And these are the three different ways that participants can sort of enter the tokamak network, as you were saying, Tom. So liquidity providers is how capital flows into the, the network. Liquidity directors are those with a market view that basically uh, hold our native token called TOCA, which is really tokenized liquidity, 
Uh, and those participants, a lot of exciting stuff we'll get into shortly on this, those participants are able to stand up uh, liquidity for any market and on any venue that they want using their token. We'll get to some of that later. And then you have the pricers where for any uh, any venue that requires a third-party pricer, um, in other words, not an AMM, uh, the pricers are basically the trading talent that flows into. So these are kind of the three main participants. And the one I'm leaving off is the exchange. I should, should mention early on that Tokamak is not an exchange. So this thing should be the best friend of exchanges because this really operates at a higher level of liquidity to flow these things into the exchanges. Um, so with that, I think I can go into kind of all four of those pieces, the liquidity providers, liquidity directors, the pricers, and the exchanges, and kind of talk about uh, how those fit together. Um, should we start with uh, liquidity providers, as you said? Yeah, liquidity yeah. providers makes a lot of sense. You know, and, okay. and just to recap, you know, anybody that has idle assets, Bitcoin, ETH, ERC-20s, new tokens, is a liquidity provider, but Carson, go ahead. Correct. Yep, that's exactly right. So to start with liquidity providers, which is probably the sort of simplest user case to to start with. So this can be any user or protocol that has tokens, deposits tokens into Tokamak and earns yield on them. So for these users, Tokamak actually looks very much like an Aave or a compound, but instead of being for money markets, instead of just lending out um, the deposited assets, it's standing up two-sided trading market liquidity. So for these users, that's basically the experience, uh, all the way down to the fact that um, similar to A tokens and C tokens on Avian Compound, in Tokamak, you'll get back T tokens. If you put in S and X, you'll get back T, S and X, uh, and so on. This is basically how the capital enters the system. Um, and that is actually the capital that is then, or the assets that is then flowed into the exchanges uh, as voted on by the liquidity directors, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. I won't go a ton into the yield um, uh, yet. We'll probably get there later. Uh, but the yield that these participants are earning actually has to do with the state of the system as a whole. Um, and, and it is earned in TOCA, in the native token. Next participant, any questions on that before we jump to liquidity direction? I, I might just add that um, for the liquidity providers in the token markets, it's, um, they provide one-sided liquidity. So they don't have to swap um, anything they can just provide, for example, Aave or SNX that they have available and idly, they can just provide the single sided asset. Right? Single side exposure yep. is good because you know providing both sides of a pool has always been a kind of a burden and a hamper. Uh, yeah, Carson, go on. This is great. Yeah, it's a great point, um, Bruno. It's a good spot to, to mention this here. So for the liquidity providers, again, this this works very much like Aave or Compound, down to the fact that even though this is an Aave or Compound for two-sided trading market liquidity, you only have to come with a single asset. You can come with as many as you want or one. So rather than myself wanting to be, say, a, a bond ETH liquidity provider on Uniswap or SushiSwap, where if I go there and I have a million dollars of bond, I would have to also come with a million dollars of ETH now we actually can pull this apart. We can crowdsource each. So if I just come with Bond or Aave or SNX, whatever the, the token is, I can just come with that, deposit in, and this handles the rest. We probably won't go into a ton of detail on this call, but we have other pools that hold uh, what we call the Genesis pools that hold the ETH and the stable coins. And those are flowed with the uh, other assets into the end uh, venues like SushiSwap, Uniswap, 0x, etc. Carson, just, um, to, just to zoom out just for a second, and just to say liquidity providers, why would I want to deposit, you know, a million dollars in Ethereum, you know, ten million dollars in in Link? And trust me, I don't have it, but I'm just wondering, you know, what what's the incentive for somebody to deposit their idle assets into Token? Yeah, so uh, there are several. So there's the the direct rewards that that users earn. So right on the right on the site, um, they'll be able to see the the current APY um, for the liquidity, the current uh, liquidity epoch. We, we call our epoch cycles. 
Um, so you'll be able to, of course, earn uh, TOCA, which means you actually are earning this tokenized liquidity. And we haven't really gotten into TOCA yet and how it works. But you'll start to earn our native governance and liquidity token uh, as you deposit. But the other important thing is versus some of these uh, other things that you could do with your capital, this is actually directly supporting the liquidity for your product. So in the case that you said, I think you said Link or something. If you put Link in, um, you're actually supporting the liquidity uh, of Link out in the markets uh, as voted on by the entire network. So wherever the network thinks that there needs to be deeper liquidity, which again is really bandwidth in this space, right? Um, liquidity sort of is bandwidth when, when uh, data flow Sorry, when value flow is replacing the old uh, data flow of the old internet, um, liquidity is bandwidth. So you're you're basically stepping up the on in an off ramp on and off ramps into your project that you want to support, and this is something good for your project. If you compare that to what could happen, not always, but could happen in the lending markets, if you're lending out your link, someone's probably borrowing it to do one of two things: they're either going to short the market, which of course is going against your position. Or they're yield farming or staking with it someplace, in which case you probably should have just gone and discovered that uh, opportunity yourself because the only reason they're borrowing it is because they're getting a higher yield somewhere else. So the point is, the not only um, are the monetary incentives, which are going to be very attractive here, um, uh, interesting or, or enticing, I think, for individuals to plug in here, but also it's supporting the liquidity, which is um, a, a critical feature for the success and health of the project that you already have a position in. Got it. So it's safe to say that someone deposits idle assets and obviously they're adding to liquidity, they're supporting projects, you know, altruistically, but they're also earning your native governance token. And I, I mean, we'll get into this a bit later, but it's not just in like a free reward. I mean, the TOCA or, or TOC token has a crucial role to play like within TOKMAC itself and evening these pools within the DAO as a, you know, you know, potentially uh, earning fees from the DAO. You know, I'm sure that could be voted in later. But before we go into liquidity directors, can you maybe give some information on you know your utility token just so that people um, are aware of what they're getting in exchange for providing their idle assets? Yeah, absolutely. So um, TOKA, is, um, TOKA, which is our, our governance token, is uh, a new type of utility token in a lot of ways. So if you think about kind of how almost all tokens that have um, really interesting tokenomics and, and a lot of value in DeFi, they're, they're really usually do only being uh, used for one of two things, um, and sometimes both. Um, they're used as collateral uh, or they're used as a governance uh, token. Those are usually kind of the, to, to oversimplify, it's often in one of those two buckets. Here, the first thing is this is still a governance token. So not surprisingly, you get, uh, it, it will be a vote in the token Mac, uh, the forthcoming token Mac DAO uh, for protocol changes, et cetera. But importantly, the new thing that this is, is TOKA is really tokenized liquidity. At some level, you can kind of think of it abstractly as a sort of um, tokenized liquidity future. And what I mean by that is if you hold 1% of the TOKA, or it's actually even better than that, if you have staked 1% of the staked TOKA in the network and uh, acting as a liquidity director, which we'll get into in a minute when we switch over to that, uh, that user type, um, you're basically able to both generate and direct, so really control 1% of the entire TBL uh, that's in this network. So the more token you hold, the more of the liquidity that you're able to source and direct uh, within this network. Uh, and we'll get into that shortly, kind of how that works, but that's why fundamentally um, it's very interesting to acquire this token because you can imagine the different token projects will want this to be able to direct liquidity to their own projects. The different exchanges will want this to be able to direct the liquidity on both the other direction to their exchange because a liquidity director is able to do something uh, to, to do many things. But one example could be, oh, I want 
Wi-Fi, USDC liquidity on 0x, or I want uh, Aave ETH liquidity on SushiSwap, for example. So, uh, and, and when they vote that, it literally, through a feedback mechanism, which we probably won't go through in a ton of detail uh, on today's call, will source the liquidity and get new liquidity into those venues. So that's kind of the fundamental utility and feature of this token. There's one more feature, which I won't spend a lot of time on this call because this gets starts getting really deep. But over time, this this token back network starts controlling more value. So in, additional, in addition to the TVL provided by third-party liquidity uh, providers, the protocol itself starts sucking in more value. And as that happens, the token back, or sorry, the token holders um, have a larger claim on those assets. So over time, you get a really interesting DeFi trading and reward-weighted portfolio that is actually backing uh, TOKA, of which those TOKA holders have a claim on. So over time, the, the fundamental value of TOKA goes from what will someone pay per dollar of liquidity to what will someone pay per dollar of liquidity plus their pro rata share of this uh, DeFi portfolio that's backing it. It's an incredible overview, Carson. And I, I'll probably sound repetitive here, but I'm, I'm looking at the deck, so I want to make sure people you know understand. And So we're, we're talking a lot about the liquidity providers who are depositing out of assets, they're earning yield, they're earning your native governance token. Let's switch over to the other side on the liquidity directors. These are the people that are staking your native token, TOKA, um, to attract and kind of direct liquidity. Can you go into the other side of this and, and what the liquidity directors um, can do? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so once you have TOKA, so once you've earned it, and there's going to be great opportunities for DeFi uh, participants to, to earn TOKA and participate in this, uh, and there'll be a lot more information on that coming soon. Once you have TOKA, so this tokenized liquidity, what you do is you come to the Tokamak site and you'll see basically these reactors. So the way we have these set up are each asset has a different reactor. So I can see the Aave reactor. I can see the Badger reactor, et cetera. Any, each reactor has a different APY and it has to do with the state of the reactor. Um, and it has to do with which, which side of the reactor. So one side's the liquidity provider, one side's the liquidity director. So in the case of a Badger reactor, Badger's on the left side. And on the right side are the TOKA stakers acting as liquidity directors. If one is sort of under underwater and one is overwater, the APYs are juiced on the side that it is currently sort of in deficit. So that's, that kind of explains how the APYs trade off. But coming back to your question, liquidity directors, um, they see these APYs that are variable across each of the reactor. They can then make a decision based on either where they would like to see liquidity and or where they see the highest APY on where they want to stake their TOKA. So let's say they go to the Aave reactor stake their TOKA there. What that does is through a feedback mechanism on the rewards, as they start staking more and more TOKA there, it's increasing the APY for more Aave holders to come and deposit as liquidity providers into TOKAMAC. So effectively, their staking mechanism actually increases the rewards. Um, and it, it isn't their TOKA that's out the door. It, it has to do with these closed form equations on that what, what governs this. But the act of staking increases the rewards for more Aave liquidity to flow into the system. And then once they've staked, they then open up a, a vote. So the fact that they've staked to the Aave reactor means they can direct that Aave liquidity into any exchange. And at launch, we're, we're, we're planning support for ZeroX, SushiSwap, Uniswap, Diversify, and Balancer. So basically, they'll be able to flow Aave liquidity. If they had 100 votes, they could say, oh, I want to see, I want to use all 100 of my token to flow liquidity into Balancer. Or they could say, I want to see 40% of my votes. I want to flow that 40% of the liquidity into Uniswap or 60% of the liquidity into 0x, as an example. So that's effectively what happens is it, uh, 
when they stake the token, it creates a feedback mechanism to attract more liquidity into the system. And then it gives them a vote to be able to direct that liquidity to any exchange or venue that they want to direct it to. And Carson, are the users on both sides of this, those depositing idle assets and those staking TOCA to direct this liquidity to the venue of their choice with the pair of their choice, is the user interface for both these parties the same? Yes, correct. So on a single uh, user interface, uh, they're going to actually see the reactor and the current state of the reactor. So the game for users, both liquidity providers and liquidity directors, uh, let's say I show up to the site and I have TOCA, but I also have six other DeFi assets. I can show up to the site and the game is to balance the reactors. So any any of these reactors that appear unbalanced, and it's very, a lot of what we're saying, if we lose you, this the site is actually going to be very, very intuitive where you can see which side needs to be balanced, where where more needs to be contributed. And of course, the APYs or the incentives will be set up to encourage that as well. So you can they can come in and, and, and then basically allocate their TOCA and their other DeFi assets in order to play this game of balance the reactor. The game of balancing the reactor really means make sure that there is efficient liquidity out in the market because effectively it's making sure that wherever there's a lot of liquidity directors who are staking their TOCA and asking for liquidity and want to direct it to exchanges, that there's plenty of inventory liquidity flowing in in order to to follow what essentially where they're voting the liquidity. And then conversely, any place where there's a lot of inventory or liquidity that's been provided in from the liquidity providers, make sure that there's enough liquidity directors at stake in order to collateralize the system and also to get the network effect of where the where uh, increased liquidity is needed sort of uh, across the DeFi ecosystem. Makes a lot of sense. And I know I'm asking quick questions and I want to give you a chance to breathe, but you know, who are the who are the like most uh, or the best examples of liquidity directors, in your opinion? I mean, in my opinion, as a VC, like you know, I might want to own Toka just to direct liquidity for you know a new project of you know, my own, or, or you know, Delphi Ventures that may need liquidity somewhere. But you know, in your opinion, what are the best examples of liquidity directors? Yeah, great question. So, liquidity director is a, an interesting, probably the most interesting participant in our our system because it's really anyone with uh, knowledge, a uh, market knowledge. And market knowledge here, remember, we're in DeFi now, so it, it's not exactly the same as, as sort of in the past where market knowledge meant probably some very specific thing. Here it means, where do I want to see, where, where do I think it would be more beneficial for other users and protocols to be able to get access to the token? So if you're talking about XYZ token, there, that's anyone that's sort of a stakeholder within the XYZ community that has an opinion that, hey, we need to have more XYZ liquidity on SushiSwap, for example. And that could be for all kinds of reasons. So the interesting thing is we're going to have, uh, and uh, we'll be able to show some of these things very soon, uh, we will have some highly quantitative um, results and uh, metrics for how the liquidity is performing. So what kind of trading volume per unit of liquidity that's directed someplace uh, is performing. Um, But even though there's all this sort of quantitative these quantitative ways of looking at liquidity, it's ultimately a very qualitative, yeah, quantitative way of, of uh, sort of tracking all these things. It's a very qualitative game in terms of where where and what good liquidity looks like differs by each project. And so ultimately, it's just these stakeholders in each project that knows those the best. Uh, and, and those are the liquidity directors that we want to, act- to actively vote. And I know I'm saying a lot right now, but one kind of deeper piece on that is those that don't have that intelligence but still want to earn yield can stake their, their TOCA to effectively collateralize the system, but they don't have to vote. So it's fine for users that don't have a view on the market to still participate in this, but not go one level deeper into the uh, exchange voting. Oh, that makes a I lot think, of sense. I can say something here real quick. I, I think we worked very hard. Um, one of the more difficult parts of building this was 
Yeah, how do we make this approachable for, let's say, the lower primates uh, like myself uh, in the in the greater DeFi ecosystem who do play a very critical role? Um, and if you aren't that sophisticated of a participant, you can just come and play the APY game and you can visually figure out sort of where the system needs help and where your assets can help the system perform and you'll be compensated for that behavior. Uh, I think really the magic of DeFi is the ability to get people to understand how to use tools and how to help uh, these networks function without necessarily having to understand all of the um, implications of what they're doing. And sort of like that feel element, which is where like this gamification of the UIs is, is very useful. Uh, and I think we have done that and we hope that you guys enjoy it once we get to release it and that it works. Yeah, no, I've, I've definitely been able to see what you guys are working on, you know, since Delphi Ventures invested in, and I'm loving what I'm seeing, but, you know, given this is audio, um, and Paul, maybe this question for you again, just a follow up, you know, if I go on to Tokamak site when you guys are live and I see all these pools, you know, I see Ave Toka, I see, you know, SNX Toka, ETH Toka. You know, I might get kind of uh, inundated, right? Like, I don't know what to do as a basic user, right? And trust me, I'm a basic user. Is there an option to just quickly allocate, you know, my token tokens, you know, without potentially, you know, doing the next step as Carson described, you know, as in directing that liquidity? Yeah. So the the whole site is sort of designed to be. Um, it, it gets more complicated as you dive deeper. So the surface layer is, is pretty straightforward. Um, the thing that you're greeted with and uh, primarily is APY meters or sort of function like EQ meters on um, music production software where you have sort of these offsetting APYs. And so whatever tokens you have, you're going to be able to uh, see what APYs you're eligible for. And for a lot of users, that's going to sort of be where they stop. They'll you know, decide, hey, this is the best APY that I have available to me and I'm going to deposit my assets there. And the beauty of the way that the system works is that the higher the APY, that's where we need assets. Um, and so in general, being self-interested is not negative for the system. It's, um, it's positive. And I think that's sort of like the magic of DeFi in general is that self-interested behavior produces, you know, community beneficial results uh, on all the good, well-functioning DeFi architecture. So we spend a lot of time architecturing these incentives so that they do do that. So you don't have to be, you know, Mother Teresa, you come and you and you make money for performing maintenance on the system. And that's very easy and and visible for any user who lands on the page. Yeah. And and I might add for uh, liquidity directors specifically, so like any token holder that might not have like the advanced knowledge, uh, they think they might need to like make specific choices on, on allocations. There's the option of basically a one button, like provide TOKA, which will then lead to like a pro rata allocation of their TOKA, um, according to what, um, let's call them like the pro users, what their choices were to just like reinforce their vote, which will also then for them lead to like a blended reward kind of curve. No, that makes sense. The and, one click, uh, you know, staking is perfect. Sorry, Carson, I cut you off there. No, no, all good. I was just going to say, yeah, building on what both Bruno and, and Paul said, like ultimately we we did a lot in order to sort of dial back uh, the future features for basic users because we know liquidity and market making, as, as we were saying at the beginning, it's this opaque industry. It's it's um, the barrier to entry or to understanding is high. And we've made sure that 
users that just have assets and want to earn yield on the assets and know nothing more than this works like Compound or Aave, but it's for uh, essentially trading market liquidity instead of money market liquidity. They can just come stake and, and it's it's not intimidating at all. Then kind of as Paul was saying, and I know we don't have any uh, visual backups here to kind of show everyone live, um, but as people go into the more advanced users, the site basically starts unfurling. And anyone that goes down and realizes they went one one step too far and now all of a sudden, oh, wow, they're in over their heads, they can just click the collapse button and they can just stay back up where they can still play the game but not go into, you know, from basic to intermediate to expert modes. And the reason that this took quite a bit of time to figure out is we really initially built this this uh, this network with DAOs and token projects and founders in mind because of what we were seeing them struggling with this abstract world of liquidity and market making. And that really good projects were living and dying based on whether they have figured out this obscure thing called liquidity. And so uh, we started with them, but then we started realizing, wow, this is also a tool for other market makers. It's also a tool for exchanges because they can now direct liquidity themselves. It's also an, uh, a tool for individuals and other protocols. So there's all these different entrances into the system which is part of the reason that probably throughout this call, those that are listening probably feel like we're meandering. It's because we're kind of touching different parts of this really uh, interesting and complex, but very elegant once you're actually using it system um, because it really does work for all those. But we wanted to make sure we wouldn't scare away just the you know entry uh, DeFi user that comes, uh, plugs into this and just wants to earn the yield. We also, by the way, have done a lot of things for gas optimization for those users as well so that we don't scare away you know, the, basically the, the heart and soul of DeFi, which is are, are all the different retail participants that are plugged in. Yeah, no, I mean, kudos to the entire team here. I mean, you know, what, what I've seen looks amazing, and I know it's gone through a couple iterations, and, and I'm really excited for you guys to share that. And Carson, just to circle back a bit, you stated earlier that, you know, users could stake Toka to basically a reactor. Uh, for those new to this, it's a pool of basically an asset, and then Toka's token. Um, you could think SNX, you could think Maker, ETH, you take your pick. You know, how do you handle, um, you know, a lot of projects in the space just basically, you know, rapid fire out rewards. and They're not very surgical, right? There's there's obviously um, exceptions to that rule. But how do you, you know, release your token and rewards in a dynamic way to make sure that the reactors are optimal and the um, overall project is functioning effectively? Mm-hmm. Uh, great question. So uh, effectively, you can think of it uh, like this. And by the way, one thing that I haven't gone into a lot of detail and we probably weren't on this call is, is the pricers so there is another this would be for any uh market makers or traders on the call there's a really cool way you can plug in to uh to be able to price the liquidity that is flowing through is basically off balance uh, liquidity for you but focus on liquidity providers and liquidity directors let's just focus on kind of the reward buckets for those two participants for now and how this works so um I mentioned before that our epochs are called cycles. So each, uh, and they'll start with a week long uh, cycles. So we call these our liquidity cycles. Each, each cycle or each week, there are uh, a certain quantity of rewards that are budgeted for liquidity providers and liquidity directors. Um, and just to make things simple, let's just call it a hundred thousand for both right now. So a hundred thousand TOCA available for liquidity providers and a hundred thousand TOCA for liquidity directors. Essentially the system is disinfected disinflationary or has disinflationary uh, uh, components to it, not deflationary, but disinflationary, because it only will pay out the maximum amount when the system is operating at peak efficiency, which means all the reactors are balanced. And conceptually, I'll try to explain what that means. You have the liquidity providers, that's where all the assets are in the system, so the Aave, the SNX, the LINK, etc. And then you have the TOCA stakers acting as uh, liquidity directors, staking their token, directing around the liquidity. 
the peak efficiency, let's say we had three reactors, let's say there was uh, 10%, uh, 60%, and 30% was the breakdown of the TBL on those first three reactors in that order. So 10% of the TBL was in the first one, uh, 60% in the second, 30% in the third. The system will pay out peak rewards if of the staked TOCA, it is also uh, allocated in the exact same amount. So 10%, 60%, 30%. Anytime it's off from that, and that's that's this concept of sort of balancing the reactor, is getting the percent staked to align with the percent of liquidity provided uh, on reactors. And again, for any of you listening, this is much simpler when you have the screen in front of you and can actually show it as opposed to me describe it. Anytime it's off from that, so let's say the first one where there's 10% actually had 30% of the TOCA staked as a liquidity director. Well, that means that one is sort of over allocated the TOCA, and that just means it's sort of over collateralized and you have not enough liquidity for all of the liquidity directors that want to vote it. And it also means another reactor someplace or reactors have the flip-flop problem where they have too much liquidity for the number of liquidity directors trying to vote around liquidity. What happens is the full amount of 100,000 uh, rewards on both sides aren't paid out, so it might be 95,000. And so what that means is we have a set emission schedule and there's going to be very attractive, essentially yield farming, liquidity mining, whatever you want to call it, rewards, especially in the early days of this of this protocol. But it, this thing inflates the most so long as it's operating at peak efficiency. Uh, and there's really interesting reasons for that. But at peak efficiency, it means it's both providing the best liquidity. And it also means that it's growing its protocol control value or assets um, the most. So it makes sense to hand out more of these tickets, essentially, the golden tickets that are TOCA uh, to more holders. And so the inflation is higher under those. If it's not uh, pro providing as solid a liquidity um, and isn't growing its uh, internal protocol controlled assets as quickly, then it, then it hands out fewer tickets, fewer TOCA. No, I mean, dynamic rewards are incredible, right? Because, you know, it's kind of like, you know, not to bring it back to another project, but, and obviously not a solicitation to dive into it, but I mean, Filecoin does something, you know, kind of up the same line where, they basically make a baseline where the amount of storage supplied should be at. And if the network isn't providing that storage each year, um, they don't provide all the rewards. But more conceptually, your point, you guys aren't wasting rewards, right? If, if the network isn't attracting enough assets. And two, if these individual reactors are off, you're incentivizing those with the idle assets for each reactor to kind of supply them in the, in the correct proportion, which, which makes a ton of sense. And Carson, how long are your rewards slated for, right? Because a lot of projects kind of run, run low a couple of years out or they, you know, use their entire supply way too soon and they don't have anything left for incentives? Yeah, great question. So we have a big piece of the pie. Um, I, I didn't go into a lot, but this of, of sort of evolving from inflationary liquidity mining into sustainable mining. Uh, it's really sustainable liquidity, which is what Tokamak will usher in. But we sort of get that started with the good old-fashioned incentives uh, inflation for uh, for the community. And we have budgeted, um, and, and I think here Bruno can keep me honest, but 18 or 24 months, something like that, um, uh, of rewards for the community. And the nice thing is we have sort of a, a reserve as well, where um, if we need longer or if we need increased rewards to make sure make sure that we're staging enough TBL so that each token is directing a large amount of liquidity into the exchanges, we uh, we will have a nice reserve to be able to do that. So plenty of uh, uh, plenty of TOCA available to make sure that we both decentralize uh, this network into the, the right holders of, of DeFi participants uh, and also make sure that we're we're bootstrapping um, uh, all of the the right pieces to make sure this thing functions at peak efficiency. It's awesome. Yeah, no, I love dynamic rewards, um, especially when they're allocated the right way between all your pools. That's that's incredible. Um, it, it's kind of hard to think about how 
you know, an existing project would do that, right? It's as if Uniswap provided dynamic rewards based on the amount of, you know, assets in each pool. But yeah, it, it's a very complex problem to solve. And it's awesome that you guys are kind of addressing it head on. And Uniswap's obviously totally different to this example. Um, but I guess zooming way out, I have a couple of questions for you. I mean, if we kind of look at Tokamak, you know, six months, 12 months down, down the road, I guess, how do you judge um, critical mass for the project, right? Like, you know, what would be uh, success in your mind? So really, there are a lot of different ways I could answer that because there's a lot of different metrics for success here. But um, a couple of interesting, one that's probably quite measurable um, and one that you can observe from activity um, out in the space. Um, we believe what, one of the things that we mentioned where um, sort of the first group that we had in mind when we built this was token projects who were budgeting huge amounts of their of their uh, token pool to liquidity mining for like SushiSwap, Uniswap, et cetera, this kind of inflationary inflationary liquidity mining rewards that could have been spent better uh, for, for better things out uh, in their community, probably, or, or things that are less commoditized. We think one of the indicators that this starts to be successful is we believe a future launch rather than saying, okay, this piece of my token allocation pie is for people that stake on Uniswap or uh, SushiSwap. We think that that will go in parallel to the rewards handed out from Tokamak um, and the liquidity source there for a while. But eventually we'll have groups that rather than budgeting that pie, they say, actually, instead of budgeting that directly, we're going to use some of the uh, assets in our DAO treasury, or we'll use some of ours, uh, some of our assets to just buy token directly, which then means we can stake rather than set up the sep separate reward, we can just stake the token uh, and then enable liquidity to flow in here from anyone in our general pool of, of token holders, whether that comes from the founding team, investors, or DeFi just in general. That's sort of phase one of how liquidity mining is going to evolve once this is out. The second will be someone will learn that they could actually borrow TOCA. So the borrowing market for this is going to be really interesting. So they could say, actually, we just need to get through our bootstrapping phase. Uh, so we want to borrow sufficient quantity of TOCA so that, again, we can stake to our reactor. So when we launch, we spin up a new reactor for our ABC token we just launched. We stake the TOCA that we borrowed in. Liquidity flows through because it bootstrapped uh, the rewards for those that provide the ABC liquidity into the system. And now we're directing it throughout the DeFi ecosystem to wherever it's needed on exchanges, and they're off and running. The final phase, and this is when we've really won from a token product, uh, when, when we've won and everyone else wins with us from a token product perspective, is you want to allow, I mentioned early on where groups in the 90s, uh, these IT companies that were spinning up their own servers, eventually once AWS came along, they could actually just focus on their product and they didn't have to worry about running uh, uh, massive groups of IT professionals and, and spinning up their own server farms. What really wins here is when groups no longer have to worry about their liquidity and market making anymore. So they can go, they can pitch to the DeFi community some vision of some vision and show some prototypes of an awesome new protocol or application they've built. And rather than them have to worry about liquidity at all, once they've sold the vision and they have buy-in, token holders broadly will just go and similar to on SushiSwap or Uniswap right now, where you throw in a token hash and start up a new pool, someone will throw in the token hash, start up the new reactor. And TOCA stakers will just come from the community because they believe so much in what this new product uh, that's being built, this team that's building it, that now the liquidity is basically sourced natively for this thing because everyone just wants to support the liquidity on this thing. That will be sort of the phase that we that we can claim victory for sort of moving beyond um, this siloed approach where every token project team is so focused on their liquidity and market making and living and dying on it. So that's one of the things where we can kind of see some observations out there elsewhere. Coming back uh, kind of from elsewhere in the community, coming back closer to the protocol, we, we often talk about the different phases of this thing. 
And at the very beginning, we have third-party liquidity providers putting assets in. So, of course, the system has a liability in the T assets that they hand out, very similar to uh, Aave or Compound. But this thing begins to um, grow rewards. So the the uh, APY that we're paying out is in TOCA. We're handing out those rewards, but we're internalizing. We're, we're handing out those TOCA, but we're internalizing the rewards. So the liquidity liquidity rewards, the uh, the, the spread, et cetera. And that's growing a protocol-controlled value over time. Eventually, you get enough assets in that system uh, where you can start augmenting the, the uh, assets or the liquidity that's flowed in from third-party liquidity providers with the protocol's own free and clear assets. And eventually, you don't even need the third-party liquidity providers. We call this moment the singularity, uh, and we have some some black hole analogies here, uh, maybe reverse black hole. But at that point, you no longer need to flow more capital into the system. And we, at, once you hit the singularity, the economics of this thing sort of fundamentally shift. So spreads can be reduced to, to near zero uh, under that scenario, because now all of a sudden, this thing uh, doesn't have third-party uh, depositors. Uh, and there's other interesting ways that you can uh, sort of monetize this at that point. And the other really interesting thing is then the TOCA has not only the uh, ability to vote around liquidity, so it's tokenized liquidity, but you also have your share of this uh, big pool of protocol-controlled assets. Uh, and there's really interesting things we have planned down the road uh, for that as well, which is probably for a whole other discussion. This is incredible, Carson. I'm going to have to re-listen to your answer because it's incredible. I mean, there's also a lot of different avenues you could kind of take with your answer, right? I mean, if projects are going out and buying TOCA, then I mean, those project token holders themselves then, you know, potentially have a claim over, you know, TOCAMAC and the, and the network overall, which is kind of interesting. And I guess a totally separate kind of discussion here. And it's, yeah, it's meant to be a utility in that, in that way. I think on the other, on the other side of things, like far less complex, maybe an easy metric of success is, are we increasing the amount of or the units of liquidity received for every dollar spent on liquidity? So in the current setup where people are using liquidity money and uh, injecting all this inflation into DeFi, what is the cost per unit of liquidity? It's pretty high. And Tokamak is designed to bring that down. And so that's maybe like a very much um, direct metric that maybe somebody can look at to determine the, the success of the Tokamak. Yep. Agreed. It makes a lot of sense. And I guess, what are the biggest risks in your opinion, guys? Like, I mean, when I saw UniV3 come out, I'm like, uh, you know, concentrated liquidity is pretty cool. But, you know, Carson, I know you and I kind of talked on the side and, you know, basically it's just more, you know, granular knobs that um, pricers potentially, if I'm getting party right, uh, can decide to use within Tokamak. How are you thinking about, I guess, risk to Tokamak? Because it seems very hard to do what you're doing because this is totally new code. Yeah. Great question. So this is a new DeFi primitive that sits up at the metal liquidity layer. So there, there isn't a uh, parallel to this one uh, out there at the moment. Um, kind of think of it as, because uh, we're not an exchange, I know we didn't hit on that a ton, but again, we're always flowing liquidity into these venues. Um, we're a little bit like if you put the exchanges on one, one plane, right now you have sort of aggregators that sit below that, where for the takers who might be coming up from the bottom of this diagram, uh, they're aggregating the flow out to those exchanges. We're sitting up on the top level where what we often call the meta liquidity uh, layer and and sourcing, directing those things and then routing in market makers, which I didn't uh, focus on very much on the, on this call, but there's huge opportunities for market makers to plug into this and benefit from this. So this is not a uh, not an anti-market making uh, network by any means. It's a, it's a brand new uh, agnostic tool that all these different groups can 
uh, either adapt to and thrive from or be disrupted from one of the two. Going to your point on Uniswap V3, I think I had 40 people text me about two hours, the first two hours after the uh, after the Uniswap V3 announcement that said, wow, this is 100% just exactly what Tokamak <laughs> ordered. Uh, and the reason, the reason that people were saying that are all these new additional features which now means that coming in, uh, even if you have sort of 50-50 of assets and I have $100,000 of SNX and $100,000 of ETH, so I could be a, a liquidity provider for the SNX ETH pool on Uniswap, uh, it used to be that that was a pretty simple, once you had the assets, it was a simple uh, process for a user to deposit. Uniswap V3, you'll have all these additional features. So the ability to uh, play around concentrated liquidity, the ability to have these kind of curve price range limits that effectively uh, are stop losses sort of on being a liquidity provider. What all that means is with Tokamak sort of at this metal liquidity layer, liquidity providers can come here uh, and even better, they can still just come with one-sided liquidity since we source all sides, but they can plug into this. Uh, they don't have to worry about all those bells and whistles. And then we can plug in the liquidity directors who are more knowledgeable in market mechanics to be able to fine tune all those different parameters and eventually even be able to do some of the real-time uh, adjustments on those uni v3 pools um, so really interesting things i think as the, as these amms are growing up and getting and starting to recreate features that sort of require a more advanced almost market maker like par participant instead of just a, a more entry DeFi participant that just can deposit capital in this is going to allow those DeFi participants to still be relevant and still play on that stage without being uh, completely lost in that complexity since we can crowdsource uh, both the capital, uh, the liquidity providers, and then that expertise of the liquidity directors uh, through Tokamak. That's incredible. And, you know, a bit of a switch on a question here, Carson, but I think it's kind of important. And I'll probably drop some names that, you know, we may have invested in already through Delphi Ventures, but having a token that's unforkable is extremely important, right? I mean, a lot of projects have, you know, experimented with basic kind of fee capture and, and governance and things like that. But, you know, new projects are, you know, really pushing the bounds here, right? Like Alpha Finance, you can use their token turn fees, but you can also unlock, you know, new features among all their products, right? You guys are kind of up this line of, you know, in my opinion, a new type of token because the token itself has a real critical use case within your project, right? I mean, how do you think about forkability um, with TOKA? Yeah, great, great question. So I think there's um, two pieces of this that makes it um, at least more challenging to fork than, than others. One has to do with something that I didn't go into really any detail uh, on this call where I just said that, hey, there's this pricer component as well that plugs in here. So there's this whole other network that plugs in by running essentially nodes uh, sort of off Ethereum that are going to be staking TOKA in order to inject pricing into the, uh, the venue. So this will happen for, for example, 0x and diversify any sort of order book or RFQ venues that require third-party pricers. Getting buy-in from those participants, those uh, market maker trading desk uh, pricers, um, make this um, a ch more challenging thing to fork because not only do you have the Ethereum code, you also have this, this other piece. Second, The second piece um, that is interesting is essentially the, the protocol or the DAO balance sheet that we'll acquire through some uh, interesting mechanics that we're going to have uh, between now and launch. And there's going to be really interesting opportunities to get the DeFi community at large uh, plugged into this. So uh, I think at one point or once or twice on this call, I mentioned protocol controlled assets or protocol controlled value. And I think this is, uh, uh, you know, actively out in the, uh, the DeFi zeitgeist at the moment, um, just with the weekend launches, et cetera. But there's really interesting mechanics that you start getting with what does the DAO uh, control and then what does the protocol controlled assets uh, uh, control, which is we can, we're, we're going to actually start with a surplus 
um, a very large surplus of assets for any of the reactors we turn on, which means all everything will flow much smoother. And it's much, it's much. Uh, let's put it this way: you can fork code, but it's hard to fork a large uh, balance sheet that can make everyone know that all of the mechanics that we've built and how we deal with um, where where the impermanent loss is pushed, et cetera, in the system. That's much more challenging without starting with uh, uh, sort of that balance sheet that we'll have built out. Um, so a lot more we can talk about on that, but there's going to be some interesting ways, uh, exciting ways, I think, that DeFi can plug into this over the next two months um, as we gear up uh, up for launch launch uh, to make sure that both the DAO and this, these protocol-controlled assets are bootstrapped and ready to go uh, in time for launch. And Carson, this might, we might be getting a little too deep here, and, and I'll link to you know, our tweet storm as well for people, but... Can't the DAO then take its own assets and then, you know, use those to stake within Tokamak itself, kind of creating a kind of a virtuous cycle? Yes. And it goes down to the protocol controlled assets. So technically you could do it with both, but what gets really interesting are the protocol controlled assets, because once you have that, that's the moment that this thing sort of is a self-sustaining ecosystem that exists solely to stand up trading market liquidity out in the ecosystem uh, across the DeFi ecosystem. Uh, and so once your protocol controlled assets have grown to the grown to the right sort of uh, state, uh, that's the moment that uh, that, as you were saying, it, the, uh, the, it can kind of complete the feedback loop where the dragon can bite its tail, where now you can use those assets to provide liquidity. And those assets, uh, even more so than when you have liquidity provider assets, are solely focused on giving the best best liquidity um, bid ask spread out in the markets. Really, this liquidity bandwidth to support all of all of DeFi, and it's not focused on making, uh, earning its capital from the spread or earning its uh, revenue from the spread. That's incredible. Yeah, no, it's getting meta, but it's, it's incredible to think through. And a couple more questions for you guys. Um, zooming out again, you guys are positioned above a lot of these decentralized exchanges and other parties. Do you envision a future where you guys go multi-chain? Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned early on that we're planning uh, either at launch or shortly after to have Diversify uh, as, as one of the recipients of the liquidity, one of the supported exchanges. That's sort of our first, uh, I guess, experimentation with L2s. And we're also actively looking at other L1s. So you can imagine things, uh, and I'm not saying any of these to try to exclude any others or to guarantee these, but things that we could be looking at are uh, very closely our OVM, uh, Serum Solana, Polkadot, any of these kind of things. Um, uh, even potentially things like ThorChain, um, there's really interesting opportunities where you can have, uh, at first, this is going to be on Ethereum L1, where its end sort of uh, native location is, remains to be seen, um, whether that's you know up on an L2 on Ethereum or if it's still down on, on L1, but initially on L1, and then we can deploy contracts over to any of those others so that you can still have the token stakers basically routing liquidity here, and the novelty of how we set up the liquidity cycles where um, the rebalancing of liquidity between venues makes it so that we could flow through any of the uh, the gateways basically uh, over to these other L1s or um, the deposit withdrawal functions up to L2 uh, becomes um, quite quite simple with the uh, compared to other ways that we could have architected. So we sort of designed this from the beginning, thinking about how to plug into those others as well and how to flow liquidity across the broader DeFi ecosystem, which uh, which is, is looking like it's becoming broader than just Ethereum. I totally agree with you. And and just zooming out, you know, it's a lot harder to conceptualize, you know, investing in infrastructure versus investing in an app layer, right? Because infrastructure is kind of there. Everyone builds on an app layer, you know, what's your URL? I'll go play around with it, right? But infrastructure obviously has huge potential because of the ecosystems that are built around it. Can you kind of describe, you know, in kind of closing out your thoughts here, 
you know, why Tokamak is more infrastructure versus, say, you know, just another app? Yeah, great question. So I think it comes down to this fact that uh, there's a lot of different um, pieces I could kind of highlight for that. I think one of the most fundamental is that liquidity is uh, an issue for every single project. You get some that eventually have solved it, right? Like I would argue that Link, for example, has very deep liquidity out there right now. So it, it can, of course, use this tool to support more liquidity, different venues. But, you know, there's there's the ability to buy, sell Link with, with pretty tight spreads a lot of throughout the ecosystem, DeFi and CeFi. But because liquidity touches each and every single product, it's really a velocity of, of tokens uh, concept. It means that this can be used to basically increase the bandwidth into and out of any token product out there. And that's why I would call this sort of uh, infrastructure is protocols. I think right now we're sort of operating all of these things. Uh, uh, and I can give you other examples, but Tokamak is one of these things that sits up one layer from sort of baseline DeFi. In other words, if you didn't have Uniswap and you didn't have 0x and you didn't have these exchanges, this wouldn't exist. This needs a place to be able to route liquidity to. The things that are going to be built on top of that, I, I'm a firm believer that there's about about six to 12 months left where DeFi can sort of be held in someone's head. Uh, and I know already it's sort of beyond that that level, but I think conceptually people can have a rough mapping still of how these things connected to each other. I think in six to 12 months, it, it's game over for that. No human is going to be able to understand how all these things connect to each other um, as they build on top of these things and connect in really novel ways. So that just kind of gives you this idea of um, this liquidity as a bandwidth. There's so many different protocols and applications that will plug into this because really anything that needs tokens to flow into it uh, or needs importantly needs to make some sort of a trade or a swap um, uh, are directly impacted by liquidity. Um, you'll have many exchanges, but all those exchanges need liquidity to thrive. And this is uh, basically conduit to get more liquidity into all these venues. And, and you can see a world where new user behaviors and new business models are unlocked by like lossless or broadband value flow. Uh, and, and this level of sort of automated, reliable and sustainable liquidity will allow new business models uh, that are probably orders of magnitude larger than even the current ones, which everyone is impressed with um, to be unlocked and, and a new competitive arena will have been uh, built. So we look forward to that. It's incredible guys. Yeah. There's so much here to think through so much to go through. Why don't we close out with, you know, how could the listeners on this podcast get involved? You know, wh- who do they follow? Where do they follow? And I guess what's on the near term horizon for Tokamak? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first and foremost, uh, follow at token reactor. Uh, on Twitter, we're going to have a lot of uh, announcements coming soon. That's the main Tokamak handle um, for myself, and, and probably we can, uh, Tom, give give you all of our handles later. But for myself, I'm at Liquidity Wizard. Uh, was in building mode, so I've been late to the Twitter game, but I'll be uh, standing that up uh, aggressively now going forward as we're going into, into rollout. Uh, and then uh, launch is coming sooner than probably a lot of people um, that have been plugged into this thing. So uh, launch, uh, the first phase of launch is going to be coming uh, late May, and there's going to be some interesting ways that DeFi, can, DeFi participants can plug into this, uh, even in the interim. So um, I would say for now, um, stay tuned to uh, our, our Twitter at, at Token Reactor, and um, and we'll have a lot of a lot more announcements coming in the coming uh, weeks here. Carson, I was excited for a, a COVID-free summer, but I think I'm more excited for you guys to launch. <laughs> it's going to be a fun summer. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be a packed uh, packed launch still, uh, as well from that uh, late May time frame on. Uh, there's going to be new features rolling out every every couple of weeks. So, 
That's incredible. Well, guys, thanks so much for your time. Um, I'll link to everything you guys listed in the show notes. And uh, just thanks again for your time. It's been incredible. Thanks awesome. so much for having Great us, Tom. Great job, Tom. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. And thank you, everyone, for, uh, for tuning in. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on iTunes, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter and LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our next episode out soon.